that the people who are being paid in this way are declaring income in the correct way as well. So um, it, it dovetails into our tax legislation to make sure that they can track these payments that are made. I think there's a compliance layer about making sure that these people are, are being paid appropriately according to the federal fair work guidelines and things like that. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. There are many different business models how each ERP vendor promotes their products. Some like to go direct to the customers with their own professional services team, while the others only sell through their partners. While not common, some vendors also have OEM arrangements, which is similar to the technology licensing business model, where a distributor may have exclusive rights to modify the product and white label with their branding. This additional layer of complexity may add another layer to already confusing ERP buying cycle. So what do you need to know about the OEM business model? In today's episode, our guest, David Taylor, who shares his insights into the pros and cons of OEM distribution model for ERP systems. He also discusses the nuances of Australian geography and how different states might have different statutory and compliance requirements related to vendor payments, e-invoicing and bank integration. Finally, he discusses why the data model for Australian market may be different from the US and why the products targeted for the North American market may fall short in the Australian geography. Let me introduce David to you. David Taylor is the founder and managing director of Business Hub, an award-winning MYOB Enterprise Solutions partner in Australia. The OEM version of Acumatica, specializing in the manufacturing, wholesale distribution, and not-for-profit industries. Since 2005, Business Hub has been at the forefront of cloud-based ERP in Australia and is renowned for being the partner to deliver the first MYOB advanced solution throughout Australia and New Zealand. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. That's uh, great to join you. Of course, and it's my pleasure to have you. I like uh, your geography a lot because I don't get a lot of people from Australia who have ERP experience. So this is going to be so much fun discussing the nuances of that. Before we do that, do you want to start with your uh, personal story and current focus, David? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so I suppose um, da- um, my name's David. I'm from um, Business Hub, where uh, enterprise uh, uh, solutions specialist uh, based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, we, we're a, we, we sell a single vendor product being the MYB Advanced product, which is the OEM'd Acumatica product. 
um, and we've been dealing with uh, that solution in the AU marketplace since um, NYB entered into its commercial relationship with Acumatica back in about back about 2015. Um, before that, we were more focused around um, HRM, HCM applications, yep. staying out of ERP, waiting for a sort of waiting and looking around for a, a good quality cloud-based ERP solution. So since then, we've um, we've got a, a a small but effective team head office in Melbourne with a couple of people spread down the eastern side of Australia, um, and we service uh, now about 120 odd sites, circa um, in uh, across Australia on the on the Acumatica product and a number of other clients still working on a legacy um, payroll HRM product. Very cool uh, background there. So obviously, we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. But before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest. And David, that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Business growth. Well, business is tough. Um, people who, who who start businesses and try and grow businesses and um, uh, and, and and embark on this journey, I think um, I think they. They often don't understand how hard hard it can be, um, especially as businesses mature. So to growth, um, and that's interesting because we're going through a, a growth cycle ourselves at the moment, where yeah. the business has been around for quite a while, but we're 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 trying to grow and scale some of our growth, and and that comes with with growing pain. So what is growth? It's it's about trying to keep the secret sauce in your business, um, trying to keep the service levels, whilst trying to also scale and put structures in place to, one, um, I think, create more sustainable teams um, because I think, especially with small businesses, as they as they start off, there's a lot of personal effort that goes in at all levels. And I think what needs to happen is we need to put in structures underneath those, uh, underneath those people to support them as the business grows. And I, I think that's a, that's a challenge. Um, uh, accessing working capital to achieve that growth, um, as well as then also feeding the engine. So marketing, um, increasing the sales engine, but also the systems and processes to be able to support the that core solution delivery and extract that secret source out of people's head and try and get it into a process environment. Yeah, very interesting quote there. And I'm probably going to steal that. Extracting the intel from people's head. Amazing, uh, you know, quote. So now let's dig into the Australian geography and the OEM model. And uh, I don't know how many listeners are really going to be familiar with what an OEM model is. There are a lot of different ERP vendors that work in the OEM model. Uh, but from the customer's perspective, let's say if I'm the CFO of a manufacturing organization, retail distribution organization, and I am trying to figure out, okay, what's in it for me? when I am exploring uh, an ERP product versus OEM versus any other products. So how would you describe the OEM model from the customer's perspective? I suppose i firstly say, um, I, I've got, I've, I suppose the caveat is I, I just want to make sure that I'm not making representations on behalf of the, uh, of the vendor uh, in Australia being MYOB and, and my, my views are my own. Um, so I, I, just, I probably just want to say that at the get-go. But um, I suppose what's in it for the customer? Um, I think for for Australian customers, and that's all I can speak on behalf of, because the customers we work with are, are head office in Australia. We work with subsidiaries of global companies, but we are engaged with their Australian operations and, and Australian companies. I think um, what the OEM model that, say, MYB has undertaken with Acumatica gives our customers is probably access to a great tech platform that then is focused and targeted 
at the Australian market. So rather than the vendor going and building a product from scratch for a relatively small market like Australia on the global stage, um, I think what happens here is um, we, we, get a, we, get a, we get a platform <coughs> or the vendor takes the platform and then starts to focus in on that um, focus in on that localization for that platform for the given markets market or markets that they're operating in operating in or focusing on and i think what that gives the customer is a uh, is a more focused product for the for the AUNZ marketplace australia and new zealand marketplace in this situation as opposed to potentially a, another vendor that that really is coming from a global perspective uh, and then lands in the AU and NZ market and there's some localization that's missing and can be um, expensive and or problematic to configure and customize by a local vent, uh, by a local VAR or resale like ourselves. Yeah, so some very interesting insights there. So I'm actually going to peel some more layers there so that listeners are able to follow along. So, uh, and again, we are going to be talking about uh, some of the products and I don't know how many products are really popular in the Australian geography. And, uh, and I, I think you are going to touch on some of the nuances as well, why the localization for Australia matters a lot. So we will discuss that. But before we do that, uh, you know, from the product perspective, let's say if I'm the customer and if I'm looking at product A versus B, I know Pronto is very popular in the Australian geography. I don't know any other mainstream vendors are going to be there. I if my recollection is right, probably NetSuite is going to be very present yes. in, in, in that space as well. So maybe talk about some of those products and maybe some of the mom and pop. Uh, those products are going to be equally popular as well. Uh, and what is going to be the pros and cons, let's say, if a customer goes for OEM-centric uh, product versus some of these other products that we have in the market? Well, again, I, um, I suppose what we see in the AU marketplace is we've got, um, we've got the Business Central product, we've got yeah. NetSuite. We've got Acumatica, um, and if you take Acumatica and Business Central as um, as examples, they've both got um, OEM arrangements, um, and so Business Central have got Wise um, in in Australia. It, it, there's a there's sort of a sub branded product called Wise, but they're both available in the AU marketplace. Yeah. Acumatica. Um, is is only just deployed through MYB's relationship, um, so it's only deployed as MYB Advanced. NetSuite um, is 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 NetSuite with local partners implementing the solution, and then there's localization to um, things like what we call bank feeds and payments uh, payment differences and things like that that need to be catered for across all those products. Um, then there's other products that um, as as we go up in the up in the tiers. Of which we play in the we play in the sort of the top of tier three, bottom of tier two space, as we see it. Um, but the the bigger products as they go up, I think they're they're probably it's people with more of a global outlook for their business as well. So they've got they've got bigger presence in North America, in Europe, and so forth. So they may be looking at those products that just can be not OEM'd. Yeah. So where they where they want it local, they kind of want the OEM, and when they don't want it as localized. They probably want to start to look at the non-OEM arrangement. I, I hope that sort of points to an answer to the question, Sam. It does, and I'm actually probably going to build on more on that. So obviously, you know, number one, we need to understand a little bit more about why localization matters and the companies that you are referring to 
the ones that are slightly more global, obviously they are going to have much bigger IT budgets. They are probably going to be doing a lot of custom development and the integration by themselves. Now, if you are an SMB, for you, it's much harder to do those things, uh, especially if you are struggling to running your business, right? So here in this particular case, let's say, if you look at the nuances of localization, why localization matters, especially for the SMB. Do you want to talk about the specific of the functionality yeah. where the generalized products are going to fall short? Yeah, I, I think some of the if we talk if we if we focus our attention to the SMB sector yeah. um, and those businesses where potentially they're moving off um, compliance-driven products, so basically accounting products, uh, and they're moving to that business management platform to to really a, a platform that does accounting but is really a business management platform. The localization hurdles that um, we see, the simple things that the, the, the perceived simple things that customers don't see value in paying for, <laughs> um, they want, they, they expect it there. And, and examples of that are um, things like I, I reference bank feeds, for instance. So that's um, for, for us, it's our, the local banking infrastructure and the local banking process to be able to stream those transactions um, directly from the banking institutions, making sure that that's integrated and working out of the box. Um, the differences in the way um, the way we interact, um, electronic payments and things like that. Um, so both outward vendor payments as well as incoming customer payments, direct debit, direct debit integrations, um, as opposed to um, what's generally shipped, especially out of North America, where we where those the, the, those structures don't work. Um, and then obviously the tax layer. So being able to configure um, the vendor, the, the local vendor, being able to configure the appropriate tax layers, both for the federal taxes that we deal with in Australia across our, our value-added taxes or GST, yeah. um, and making sure the interaction with um, the ATO or the Australian Tax Office is, is dealt with. And then nuances in tax legislation are in specific industry verticals to deal with uh, complexities there. So we've got specific industry verticals with specific tax legislation. Then we go a layer lower and then we've got the payroll, uh, the, the payroll HRM uh, interaction, which then requires uh, another layer of, um, of, of localization again, to make sure that the, both the state taxes are taken into account as well as the um, as, as well as those federal taxes and then all the integration with the with the relevant tax agencies how to submit lodge confirm those um, those transactions that need to be done so I, I think that the local vendor is really driving the is driving the the relationship between the federal and state agencies to achieve those outcomes and then helping deploy it to the customer and staying on top of that evolving, ever-evolving um, uh, legislative requirement that is that is big in Australia. Okay, very interesting. So some very interesting layers there. And in my personal experience, I have also seen a lot of issues overall from the bank feed perspective. The payment is going to be a deal breaker overall in terms of the implementation. We have seen that in the case of e-commerce as well as ERP. E-commerce, it gets trickier when you are not going to be able to process the payment processor that the bank might be permitting, then it becomes terribly difficult. How are you going to integrate that? That integration could be very expensive. So we have seen it there. But I'm actually going to give you one story 
from my perspective, and then you can probably talk about some more very specific nuances of the geography. So, for example, we did one episode with uh, one guy in Mexico, and uh, these countries, especially when you talk about countries like Mexico, India, countries like Brazil, they are going through a massive change at this point of time, okay? The way their taxation is done. So these countries were sort of loose overall in terms of their regulations. So people were sort of not uh, paying taxes traditionally. So government had to literally create the measures to make sure that they are going to be paying taxes. So right now, the way the government is operating, to be honest, okay? So they are literally asking to submit the electronic invoice for each of the transaction, meaning you are going to have to register each of the product and the service that you are selling with the government authorities so that anytime you are going to process the invoice, it goes to government, government collected tax on every single line item. Can you believe this? So some of the geographies are going to be this complex. Have you seen something similar in your geography where things are going to be really tricky to work with? Yeah, I, I think that where it's tricky to work with is, I think our our um, value added taxes are quite straightforward. Um, I, I don't. It, it's the, I think it's it's quite it's relatively straightforward. I should say. Yeah. Um, from 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 what I've seen, um, it's uh, at a at a at a business to business transaction level. I think it's it's quite straightforward. Uh, we've got a lot of complexity with respect to um, our um, our payroll payroll complexity, um, which is outside the ERP, like outside the direct ERP we're on, but it, it's integrated into the core product. So we deal a lot with it um, and that drives a lot of complexity. Um, so I think, yes, there, there are those complexities. It's changing. It's the, um, <coughs> it's the industry specific stuff that's hard. So construction industry in Australia yeah. has some specific legislation that needs to be met. And that means that that layer needs to be taken care of at the local level um, to be able to track what we call taxable payments and um, this sort of stuff. That that needs that needs to be done at a local level, which adds that levels of complexity. The, uh, Sam, there's there's also something else I think that's quite interesting to this to this discussion as well is yeah. not only the not only the vendor adding or localizing functionality in in the situation we see as well. MYB as the local vendor, uh, as the as the OEM partner for Acumatica in AU, revokes or removes functionality from the product as well that is not that is not particularly useful for the AU marketplace, which is also in- interesting, especially around say freight and logistics workflows, um, because we've got a very it's very decentralised, and there's lots of small players in the space in Australia, so we work with third parties who integrate that. To integrate that freight component into the ERP, whereas if you are in, say, elsewhere, those um, there's componentry that's a lot more native in the product that's used. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I find that interesting. Um, I find that interesting as well in terms of that removing functionality um, and or the inability to utilize functionality effectively because it. It's not really fit for purpose for the local market. Okay, so very interesting layer there. So I definitely want to touch a little bit more, uh, you know, on the taxable payments. And I don't know how they work. Obviously, it's going to be really beneficial for listeners who might be exploring the Australian uh, geography. And if they are trying to understand, okay, how that works. And I don't know if there are going to be any other nuances. So if I compare 
the construction market here, let's say in the US or Canada, then you are going to have a lot of different union level reporting. So what you need to do is you are going to have a lot of different construction workers. So the payments, the way you are going to be paying to people that goes through a little bit of scrutiny and reporting and the labor rates are going to be sort of dictated by uh, these unions, right? So that actually complicates the process. And that's why some of the ERP systems, especially for the construction, the payroll needs to be part of your ERP system. Otherwise, it's very hard to work with the payroll, external payroll provider. So are you referring to something similar? Do you want to expand a little bit more on the taxable payments? Yeah, so it, it, it's, it's similar. In certain industries in Australia, um, you, have, uh, you have subcontractors that are undertaking work. This is prevalent in construction, in cleaning and facilities management, yeah. Uh, and in, in, in some other industry verticals as well. And in those environments, uh, not you've got to go beyond reporting employee interactions. You've actually got to report subcontractor interactions so that you can track where these where these subcontractors are predominantly providing labor services, that those need to be reported specifically to the um, to, to relevant authorities. So you've got to identify within an invoice from a subcontractor, a vendor invoice from a subcontractor, um, la- potentially lines of um, individual lines within that document that relate predominantly to labour services and track that and report it. Uh, and you need to track both the uh, the accrual of that, the, the invoice, as well as the payment. Yeah. And also another thing that's occurring in Australia at the moment is um, there's some um, work around um, on-time payments so this is the responsibility of big businesses to pay small businesses on time and there's reporting obligations and any and that's that's another thing that's on the horizon for increased reporting obligations then that's that's all separate to what we would deem that payroll compliance interaction which is another layer again and in, in that layer again in Australia there's you are reporting at a micro level um, the payments made to employees um, down to uh, and and that gets reported to the federal authorities each each pay run each pay run that is actually processed so it's every single pay that data gets submitted through to the yeah. to the relevant authorities so it's tracking overtime um, breaking down overtime payments normal time um, leave payments and things like that uh, as well as um, as well as uh, uh, other benefits that that, that employees need to be paid and making sure that businesses stay compliant. Okay, so very interesting layer there. And I'm always looking to find the underlying reasons for whatever, you know, regulations are going to be there. So a contract payment, if you talk about US market, Canada market, okay, so obviously there are going to be a lot of regulations for when you are dealing with people. Anything that touches people, you are going to have a lot of regulations in the US and Canada. That is not true when you are going to be dealing with businesses, okay? So, and that's why you have a trend in the U.S. They call that, you know, we are living in a temp economy where companies don't want to deal with uh, labor issues. So that's why what they are doing is they are simply hiring temp workers. And I don't know whether this is going to be slightly more, you know, uh, a controversial issue overall from the economy perspective. Uh, But, you know, we are seeing these trends because the way the regulations are structured, uh, you know, because of that, these things are happening. So now in this particular case, let's say if we dig a little bit more into why the reporting for 
subcontract labor exists, let's say in the Australian market. Do you have any more insights there? Why are they doing that? Why are they tracking those payments? At the core, it's um, it's really, I suppose there's two sides to it. There's there's a bunch of people out there that'll talk around. It's just governments imposing more regulation. Um, and then there's the other side, which will be the um, the unions and and other other groups um, within the within the economy who um, who are, are protecting or wanting visibility of these of these workers and making sure that they're not being exploited. Um, and then I think the other layer that the um, that the Australian Tax Office would be dealing with is trying to make sure that they're um, that the uh, that that the people who are being paid in this way are declaring income in the correct way as well. So um, it, it dovetails into our tax legislation to make sure that they can track these payments that are made. I think there's a compliance layer about making sure that these people are, are being paid appropriately according to the federal um, fair work guidelines and things like that. And I think it's just tying all that together. That's probably where my <laughs> where my opinion on it would would stop. Um, I, I, it's it, it's a bit more. Hey, it's it's come down the line now. I've got to deal with it. But I, I think it's a. I think with gig economy workers, um, there's a there's a big thing there. Subcontractors and then employees and the yeah. There's there's a lot of complexities to deal with. But it's just trying to track all that is 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 a is a big burden on 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 especially small to medium business. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing that you mentioned is very interesting as well, which is the on-time payment tracking. And these are the trends that I have personally seen in some of the other countries as well. And when I was following them on social media, they were talking about this whole over-control nature um, you know, of the economy. But at the same time, when I review these trends, in some ways, you know, that can actually drive your economy. So I'll, I'll tell you one trend, which is very, very, very interesting. So, uh, and I am not too sure if this is with Spain or somewhere in, 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 in that geography. So they have implemented a new law where you are supposed to be delivering services or products within certain timeline. Okay, that's a law. That's not just the convenience anymore. If you don't comply, you are going to be penalized. And by the way, not just this, I guess, you know, the law is also for the customer service response time. So companies have the set amount of time that they can take to respond to the customers that they don't respond, they get penalized by the government. So I don't know if the on-time payment that you mentioned falls around the similar sort of regulation, but I kind of like this one. I don't know what your position is going to be on this one. I, uh, the on-time payments thing, I, I'm not right in the detail of all of it, um, but uh, I think it's more about just trying to ha- making sure that I think, the, as I understand it, the essence of the on-time payments um, tracking moving forward is is really to make sure that big businesses that have a lot of uh, a lot of market power, and we can talk about the structure of business in Australia as well. I suppose on the back of this, it probably dovetail in, but just to make sure that those big companies um, uh, who are working with um, a predominant a lot of smaller companies are playing fair. I think I think that's really what it is. So to make sure that they're not withholding payments unnecessarily and then causing cash flow grief or financial problems for those small businesses unnecessarily, that they've got a responsibility. So I think it's a bit of oversight there to make sure that they're yeah playing fairly. That's it's it's not um, it's not controlling the service that they're delivering 
um, and doesn't seem to be involved in that. It's more at a at a that that seems to be more at a macro approach to hold bigger businesses, I think, to account. Okay, very interesting detail there. So I am going to share one more story, which I find fascinating, to be honest. Okay, so now, David, as you already know, that I have not traveled to Australia. So for me, Australia, you know, New Zealand, they are probably going to be very similar, you know. Uh, but when I was talking to my friend in New Zealand yesterday, I guess, and probably he is going to be on the podcast as well. And we were talking about, okay, Australia, New Zealand, from the ERP perspective, same, right? What's the big deal? Uh, you know, whatever you can implement in Australia should be able to implement in New Zealand. But he said, no, uh, it doesn't go that way. In fact, okay, I was talking to another Australian friend and and he mentioned that, you know what, in Australia, when you are moving from province to province, the laws are so different that what may work for one province may not work for the other one. Is that true? If it is true, tell me why it is so difficult in this region. I've only ever done business, uh, like I've only ever owned a business in Australia, so I can I, I, can't, I can't make comparisons. So I think we all deal with, we all understand how to do business in our in our own market that we do business in, and um, and it intrigues me about then trying to do business in different markets. It's yeah. something I want to explore further. But to to the point is that um, we're um, so we talk about um, states or provinces, um, but the states in Australia. Yeah. Um, so, firstly, New Zealand is a separate country and has yeah, yeah. separate federal uh, federal legislation and so forth, and is is quite different in in terms of what it does. Yeah. And then in Australia, you've got federal legislation, and then within each state, you've got state governments, and those state governments collect taxes at a state level, much like other provinces and states in different parts of the world as well. It's I know it's not unique. Um, and the 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 rules and regulations around um, how you um, how you accrue how you conduct business do differ. Um, I don't think they're vastly different, but they're different enough to add a layer of complexity. So whilst my business is a, is a is is what I would deem a relatively small business, we have employees in multiple states. Yeah. That means we need to report uh, we need to report the same information uh, four times over. To four different state legislative bodies, um, and that's insurance uh, reporting, mandatory insurance reporting, manage, uh, reporting um, employee earnings in each state, plus reporting to them our, all of our employee earnings across all states, even though it's not relevant to that state. Yeah, yeah. Then reporting that same information to the federal authorities as well. So there's a lot of reporting and re-reporting of information, which adds layers. I don't know about moving uh, um, when, when we. When you move into another state, whether it's whether the actual business is a lot different, you've got subtle local differences in terms of maybe the market size and how they operate or how they conduct business. But I think if you move between the cities um, of Australia, I think you know you are dealing with it's relatively similar, but a bit different, and it just adds layers of complexity in reporting. And if you don't stay on top of it, it's easy to fall. Um, fall short of those reporting obligations, which then cause you problems in terms of fines and penalties. So very interesting details there. So now I am actually going to bring your story. And you had a very fascinating story, especially for people, let's say, in the US. And this is going to be the story where you were mentioning that, you know what, the Australian market is very different overall from the size perspective. And you had an example where one company, I believe, had 160 sites. And then you mentioned that you were trying to implement Acumatica. And then you, uh, you know, when other people in the U.S., they heard 
they were shocked that how can you implement Acumatica with 165, which is probably going to be a shock, to be honest, even in, in the U.S., because, you know, Acumatica is still positioned for small to mid-sized businesses. And if you're going to have 160 sites, especially in the U.S., it's probably going to be a sizable business. So you mentioned that, you know, some of the, uh, there are some nuances of the way the businesses operate in Australia. So do you want to clarify yeah. that a little bit? Um, yes, Sam, happy to sort of flesh that out. So um, uh, myself and members of our team um, uh, attended um, Acumatica Summit a number of years ago, obviously pre-COVID and so forth. Um, and it was just interesting talking to, um, interesting getting some perspectives, which I always find is is so important. Um, so in Australia, what we what we typically see is a it, there's a, there's a large market of um, small to medium enterprise, yeah, small to medium businesses. Um, but what typically my insight is the the number of medium sized businesses or big small businesses <laughs> um, is is relatively small. So we move we've got a high number of small businesses, and then we move to corporates, and there's not there's not a massive market in between. So we we have the the types of sites that we're targeting. If we compared that to say what I understand to be a typical Acumatica site or NetSuite site in, in, in North America would be um, we're probably dealing with a relatively smaller site. And then to deal with that relative, so we are selling a smaller site with a smaller implementation budget. And then those customers are not, they're not as customized and configured uh, um, uh, uh, in terms of individual customization and configuration in those sites. So the deployment of those sites is, is easier. So we're able to scale that deployment a little bit more and service more customers with less resource because those customers on the whole are using it using the product in a bit more of a vanilla i mean if that if that if that's a good descriptor in manner so whilst we have more sites <coughs> the complexity of those sites i think is somewhat less we're beginning to push up in the size and complexity of sites we're working with now and and that is starting to flesh out how the the traditional the traditional ERP space that Samuel and I talked about, where we now need to kind of resource more in line. Um, we haven't got some secret source um, that that's that, that, that some secret model that we're working with that no one else knows about. Um, we are seeing the pressure to start to resource and budget the implementation of those sites. So when we come back to you, the your original opener around the perspective on growth. Yeah. Here we here we find the pressure to grow as we want to start to work with some more complex and larger sites, starting to work with those big small businesses or some of those medium businesses that do exist in Australia. I hope that provides the insight. It does. It does. Thank you so much for that. In fact, Amiti, I want to touch on one more topic before we close, and that is going to be related to your comment that you know you guys had to modify the whole object structure to accommodate the nuances of your Australian geography, and that was primarily with respect to the integration of freight. So now I am going to compare this with one of the industries where I have seen this problem very commonly, and that is going to be in the food and beverage business. If you talk to any of the food and beverage business in the U.S., they are probably going to have their own in-house fleets, okay, the way they operate. So if you are doing, let's say, distribution retail, you are working with UPS, FedEx, 
no big deal. Anybody can do it. But then, you know, if you are going to be maintaining your own fleet, then you literally build that TMS component as part of PLP, which is going to be inside TMS. So you mentioned you have done something similar. So I wanted to ask if it is going to be, uh, do you consider, let's say, the Australian business model similar to the way food and beverage operates? So uh, if you've really pointed to it, I think there is that basically the most most businesses that we're working with are working with smaller freight providers. So that really is effectively, um, so what we then have is we're working with third parties that are integrating to the ERP systems who are doing the heavy lifting of dealing with all the little freight players. So the big freight players, there's big freight players in the Australian market, of course, um, and but they and this is functionality, for instance, that has been removed from Acumatica for the AU marketplace is the freight componentry um, for U, for FedEx and UPS. <laughs> that the the stuff that was native is, is not available to us, and yeah. the reason for that is it's really not it's it's really just not useful. So what we're then doing is really integra- interacting with third party um, ISVs, we call them, uh, they're these third party ISVs who are effectively building tools and apps to be able to centralize or broker freight. Yeah. And they're then integrating into the ERP system, um, which is kind of like the, these people are using their, their own small fleets and things like that. But the market is still quite fragmented in terms of the number of freight players and things like that. There's a lot of them around. And yeah, there's there's a number of big ones, but it's still quite fragmented as well. That's a real challenge to deal with and it's expensive. Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice for our listeners by any chance? <laughs> last minute closing advice. Um, I think it just, when, when people are choosing systems, just ask lots of questions and evaluate and see if you can find people that have had experience uh, experiences and, um, but make a decision because uh, you can't, um, what we typically see overall is people's indecisiveness uh, and that they that they're hand tied by inadequate systems so they we, we we would see that we lose deals to people's indecisions more than to a competitor um, yeah. and um, I think it's because they're scared of the or they're nervous or scared of, of, of putting in a new system to actually help their businesses grow and succeed and it's it's that that you've got to try and work out why why is the indecision there what are, what are, what are we what what's the business afraid of in that in that step forward and it is it's a big decision okay could not agree more and my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be do not underestimate how complex a geography could be okay make sure you are talking to people who have done some sort of implementation in those geography and make sure you are analyzing these details at the transaction level and the line level because they can fire back. On that note, David, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a Thanks, powerful Seth. episode. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sam. Cheers. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about David and what he does in his space, head over to businesshub.com.au. It's bu. S-I-N-E-S-S-H-U-B dot com dot A-U. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with David Dozer, who shares his insights 
into the business process nuances for oil and gas suppliers. Also, the interview with Rich Sage, who describes his journey and the pitfalls of implementing six ERP projects throughout his career. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.